Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. This is being recorded for Friday, March 30th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. On Monday, on Monday morning, we received a phone call from his wife, Debbie, informing us that Mark Downey, a longtime friend and fellow Christian identity pastor, had died in northern Kentucky. So Melissa and I are headed north once again, where we shall probably stay through the Sunday services at the Fellowship of God's Covenant People. Mark had been diagnosed with late-stage cancer of the lungs about six months ago, and he and Debbie did everything they could to combat the disease. Mark fought a good fight, but with such a late discovery of the illness, it is evident that Yahweh God had different plans. So tonight, as we visit with Debbie and attend whatever services are planned for Mark, we decided to offer a memorial for him by broadcasting his final sermons, a two-part series titled Eyes That See, which were delivered at the Fellowship of God's Covenant People on November 2nd and 19th of 2017. In the second part, which is much shorter than the first, it sadly becomes evident that Mark has already begun to lose his voice, a condition which was caused by his illness. However, his completion of the sermon is nevertheless a testament to his character and fortitude. We chose to broadcast these sermons for one other reason. Mark and I were good friends, but our friendship was rather unique in Christian identity circles. Mark would never stand the would never understand the events of Genesis chapter three or Revelation chapter twelve in the same manner which we understand them. Even in spite of the fact that we had discussed these scriptures many times over the years. For nine years now, which is the approximate time that I knew him personally, I always thought that perhaps I could persuade him with one more conversation, but it never happened, and even with that, I cannot hold any grudge against him, rather I admire his steadfastness. So the first part of this set of sermons elucidates the fact that Mark indeed remained steadfast in his differences right to the end and where he mentions Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 12, we do not agree with him, but we are not afraid to let him express his opinion. However, in the final part of the short series, Mark touches on many areas where we were indeed in agreement concerning race, salvation, and scripture and sin, and the consequences of sin. Our friendship began with the mutual understanding that from a practical and contemporary viewpoint, our agreements were far more important than our disagreements, and while we had many discussions, we never argued or let our differences interfere with our Christian and brotherly love for one another. It is my opinion that this was also Pastor Don Elmore's experience with Mark, as Don invited Mark to be his associate at the Fellowship of God's Covenant People, in spite of having 
these same differences, and they also remained friends and fellow workers right to the end. With this, we shall present both parts of Eyes That See by Pastor Mark Downey. Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. At that time, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and declared, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handled over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus turned to the disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You may be seated. Well, this is Eyes at Sea, Part 1. From an anonymous quote I found years ago, it said, I see, said the blind man as he opened his Bible. Love that quote. Because a closed Bible availeth very little. The sights and sounds that Jesus spoke of in Luke, which we just read, were figures of speech. It was no more literal than Romans 11.25 that blindness in part has happened to Israel. The blindness was a hardening of the heart of which the good news of the Gospels could not enter a man. Thus, Jesus was speaking to his inner circle who would be receptive after being under the present influence of the Lord's teaching about himself. Even though their faith was weak and wavering, they got a glimpse of his divinity. It must have sunk so deep into their hearts that they made the transition from physical sight to spiritual sight. They were blessed beyond measure. We find a lesson in Mark 8.24, in which a blind man, who was not born that way, was healed by Jesus. Regaining his sight, he said, I see people but they look like trees walking. Well, interestingly, there are some who place more significance on the tree as people than the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. If we were to point out a parallel of these trees, which not everyone will see, they represent a prejudice and presumption that prevents them from seeing the intents and purposes of God. The first sin 
and thus the fall of man stems from the presumption that there would be no repercussions. Eve thought, well, this isn't going to kill me. God knew she would disobey him. And he said, your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods. Is that a good thing? Well, small g gods are never good, and you can never mix good with evil. The fall of man was a curse, a combination of positive and negative, which results in a spiritual short circuit, the loss of immortality. Likewise, the healed blind man saw walking trees as such, because the restoration of sight was not immediate. He was seeing things in a state of confusion, obscured yet with imperfection. It took the tree of life, Christ, to break the Adamic curse. What I see in the temptation of Eve is the failure to obey God and assume something as significant as God with the other tree, something that resembles a man as a tree walking. To see such things, it's absurd, and is neither literal or figurative, but blurred and obfuscated. When Christ put a dab of spit on the blind man's eye, and laid his hands upon him, so too we see the gospel come with power. But the blind man was still in need, and so Jesus once again put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. There was no more men as trees walking. If we can't see the trespasses we commit or the carnality of our Adamic nature and look everywhere else but the reflection in the mirror for rectitude, then the old man of the Adamic sin nature has no need for a kinsman redeemer and will never have eyes that see. It's only when we kill the old man do we become new creatures in Christ. You know, when people die today, nobody says the cause of death was the wages of sin because that would be impolite and insensitive. And yet, all of the church world have their tickets for heaven. Once our race acknowledges not the knowledge of good and evil, but the grace towards a repentant sinner and a Savior who gave you eyes that see eternal life. Will we then have the wisdom and understanding of God's will on earth as it is in his own abode? Hence it is that our adversaries 
are great only insofar as we succumb to the doubts and fears they plant in the minds of those who think there are no repercussions. However, cause and effect is one of the most primary principles in the Bible. (coughs) But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Well, what are the things of the Spirit of God? Are they the pagan superstitions and mystical offerings woven into the living Word of God? Well, that's an easy one for little children, but may be a little more difficult for some adults to digest if they don't have eyes to see that their pet doctrines may very well emanate from paganism. You know, there will always be agents of our adversaries who will attempt to adulterate the word of God, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. This is talking about Sexual perverts, in Romans 1, and in verse 28, it tells us, even as they refused to have God in their knowledge, God abandoned them to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not right. Other Bibles translate reprobate as depraved, debased, worthless, degraded, immoral, perverse, disapproved, and foolish. And then finish the thought with, so that they do what ought not be done, to do things that should never be done, to do things which are not proper, to do what is morally wrong, to do those things which are not right. They would be doing whatever was inappropriate. So they do indecent things to do things that are not fitting, and to practice unseemly things. The religion of Baal worship has woven its way into Judeo-Christianity, and I think there's an inordinate variety of translations which demonstrates that they, they all can't have the same eyes that see different things. I mean, there's quite a difference between reprobate and foolish. Is it possible that the principle of Romans 128 applies to religious perversions as well? The analogy can be made when Israel went whoring after strange gods. Well, what could be more perverse than making sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. Idolatry throughout the Bible is regarded as spiritual adultery. That is why God divorced Israel. I ask you, what are the things of the Spirit of God? If you have eyes to see, you know that is not the spirit of harlotry. 
So why do people not see that? It's because they have departed from God and become his adversaries. When we read 1 Samuel 2.10, we are struck by several key identities of Scripture. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The two words we need to look at in this verse are adversaries and anointed. Matthew Henry says of this verse that this prophecy looks to the kingdom of Christ, that kingdom of grace of which Hannah speaks. After having spoken largely of the kingdom of providence, and here is the first time that we meet with the name Messiah or his anointed. The subjects of Christ's kingdom will be safe and the enemies of it will be ruined. Or for the anointed, the Lord Christ is able to save and to destroy, end quote. Now the prophecy had a contemporary fulfillment against the Philistines but has a future one as well against these adversaries. The Hebrew word for adversaries, plural, is Satan, number 7853. <coughs> now Strong's does not capitalize the S, which would make not make it a proper noun. So this begs the question, why throughout the rest of the Bible... This word is not translated adversary, as is done in the plural, but rather is arbitrarily transliterated as a personified individual, capitalizing S, becoming a name. What other word in the Bible has been manipulated like this, having any credibility of complying with known and accepted rules of interpretation? Surely you would have to have eyes that see such miraculous genuflection of language. Personally, it seems to me that it's double-minded for God to break in pieces all the adversaries of God, a plurality, and a single individual. And which would you prefer if 7853 only meant one or the other? Of course, we all know that the singular 7853 has been conveyed as anything but a common ordinary adversary. Each man must decide for himself if they have eyes that see the things of the Spirit of God. Have you identified who's who? That's what we do in Christian identity. My eyes tell me that the adversaries of God are Jews. And the word of God says they will not only be thrown down and broken in pieces, 
but you will tread down the wicked, meaning the Jews and all mongrels, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. We are told who shall be a fire and a flame to incinerate Edom in the book of Obadiah. Perhaps many are called, but few are chosen because not that many are fastidiously seeking the truth. They are merely searching for support that rubber stamps their already held beliefs. So when they are confronted and revealed with a divine truth that does not fit in with their beliefs set in concrete without giving it a second thought or time for consideration, they spontaneously reject it. The first century apostles were actually aware of people who didn't like their message and hence would kill the messenger. We can empathize with them when we get the reactionary blowback offering the Christian identity message. They blame the bearer of bad news. It's ironic that we consider it good news. Maybe it is bad, bad news for people who do not want to be responsible. If the truth shall make you free, and people hate the truth, then are they not imprisoned? The self-imposed chains that keep people in bondage, are those things opposed to the truth? Eyes that see are free even if they are literal prisoners in a prison. But we do live in a world where the knowledge of good and evil coexist. I have a prison ministry. And most of these brethren, they, they get it pretty quickly. Their circumstances allow them to have eyes that see. They begin to understand why our message is bad news for the establishment. Why the sterile religious programs and their institutions are a mockery of true Christianity and why they now have something they didn't have before. Of which such things there is no law. We put the word of God into practice, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It doesn't matter where you are, in a prison, on a sunny beach, the North Pole, the above verse is applicable anywhere on earth, anytime for anyone of our race to seek and find God's plan for the ages.
if you have eyes that see. I recently came under fire from fellow identity Christians who did not take kindly to my comments on demons and peripheral subject matter. But what struck me as odd was the manner in which I was treated. That is, as an adversary and not a friend. There was an obvious impasse and stalemate to amiably resolve any of the issues. Before I could even defend some of my writings that were taken to task, there were calls for excommunication, even though it was online. I was amazed at the admonition of how wrong I was, even though the person admittedly did not read my article. The article in question and relied on someone who was so eager to clobber me with his theology of demonology that he resorted to misrepresenting what I said and taking things out of context. Well, that's a real incentive for honest dialogue. What happens when two parties think they have eyes that see, but are the antipodes of understanding? I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 2.13. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. End quote. Which proves that God does not give all truth to one person. We are expected to cooperate or collaborate with others in order to discern what God wants both parties to see. It's like distributing pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and everybody with a piece putting them together to see what the final picture depicts. But there are always complications when there are pieces carved to fit or withheld or forgeries that are not part of the puzzle. For example, prophecy is of no private interpretation because it has to harmonize with the rest of the Bible. One faction of Christendom asserts that the war in heaven in Revelation 12.7 happened in the distant past, way before Adam was created. (coughs) Such a profound event surely would have been recorded elsewhere literally before the last book of the Bible and in symbolic prophetic language. And it is totally dependent upon interpreting heaven as God's abode and nothing else. Although heaven can mean the sky or an elevated place of authority, such as government. Revelation 1.1 
declares the purpose of John's vision was the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Not to reveal things kept secret from the foundation of the world. The foundational truth of prophecy is that it is always about the future, not the past. Without an understanding of adversaries and the war in heaven, there is no possibility of completely understanding the preeminence of Jesus Christ in Scripture. In fact, our reading today in Luke, it says it was hidden from the wise and intelligent, but revealed to children. This is not to say that race or the racial message is, is of no import, but with Christ in Genesis 3.15, it is self-explanatory. That is, us and them, period. There are thousands of examples whereby the Bible is racist in form and function. This is the book of the generations of Adam, Genesis 5.1. The key to identity is Jesus. So what was the big secret since the foundation of the world? It was the parables. Jesus spoke. And here it is. Quote, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not tell them anything without using a parable. So was fulfilled. What was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden. When? Since the foundation of the world. Matthew 13, 34. And... What were the parables about? They were about the kingdom of God on earth. Matthew is alluding to Psalms 78.2, which says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which were then fulfilled in Christ. The dark sayings were the great and mysterious things of the gospel, hid from past generations and ages. Quote, Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past. Romans 16 25. Now, if we want to simplify the puzzle or mystery or secrets before the Bible was written, we can look to the 12 pieces of the zodiac. 
which was the glory of God in the stars and constellations in complete harmony with God's plan for the ages and the kingdom established for eternity. It was all our ancestors needed to have for eyes that see the night sky. There was nothing in the stars about universalism or mythical monsters. It was exclusive to one race whose adversaries were mongrels of wickedness, often depicted as fierce animals. The Zodiac would be hijacked and corrupted with fanciful characters, especially Orion, which Pastor Elmore mentioned last week, from the perspective of a mythological hero god killed by the scorpion. Now, many would argue that this rendition of Orion, the mighty hunter, is Nimrod, or that the bright and brilliant star was the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14. Ken Ham, our local heretic at Answers in Genesis, would argue this very point, not having eyes to see that it's not the original Zodiac. Philosophers have suggested that the pagan myths retained only fragments of the original which transmitted the knowledge of divine things from the earliest times of our race. I explain all 12 signs in the perfect sermon part 4. Because of the many distortions of the original glory in the stars it must have become very well guarded to the point of being hidden. Likewise, the original written text is lost to antiquity, but has been duplicated by copies and a plethora of interpretations abound. There are roughly 10,000 manuscripts which comprise both Old and New Testaments. That's the raw source from which all Bibles are manifest. The Jews destroyed many of the early documents, replacing them with the Masoretic leaven, making the puzzle even more of a challenge to fit everything together in perfect harmony. If we can't figure it out, it's not God's fault. It's our own lack of patience and prayer. If you're on fire for Christ, the light will not go out. In fact, it will increase. And coming forth, the student said to him, For what reason do you speak in parables to them? And replying, he said to them, Because to you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens. But to those it is not given. For he who has, it shall be given to him, and he shall have an abundance. 
But he who does not have, even that which he has shall be taken from him. For this reason I speak to them in parables, because seeing they shall not see, and hearing they shall not hear, nor shall they understand. And the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled in them which says, By hearing you shall hear, and by no means should you understand. And looking you shall look, but by no means should you see. For the hearts of the people are grown fat, and with the ears they hear with difficulty, and their eyes have closed, that at no time should they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, that they should repent, and I shall heal them. But blessed are your eyes that they shall see and your ears that they shall hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men had desired to see the things which you see and they did not see. And to hear the things which you hear and they did not hear. That was today's, an expanded part of today's scripture reading but this was from the Christogenia New Testament. Christ was speaking of himself. And we are likewise his students today having the advantage of hearing his voice. And having more than the Judaized versions to learn the lesson he was teaching. This can only be an exclusive racial message. Jesus said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In spite of the perversions, we can still see the man in the constellation of Scorpio as the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. Scorpio is synonymous with the eternal enemies of God, the plurality of of adversaries. As Randa correctly made the association last week in Genesis 3-5, we find the ancient story in the stars saying a strong man, Christ, who is about to have his left heel stung by the tail of Scorpio, but his right foot is about to smash the head of the scorpion. In other words, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Exactly as Genesis 3.15 describes it. A war between Christ and Antichrist. If you have eyes to see, this is the real war in heaven. Or Star Wars, if you will. The conflict of the ages and the deterioration of the Zodiac necessitated a written text, which we call the Bible. It is a given that some people may not have the eyes to see what God hath done. But even in the beginning of the word of God in Genesis 1.14, it tells us 
that the stars in the sky were signs. A sign is something that tells us what's ahead. The twelve signs gave us a message of redemption. And the coming birth. The life. The suffering death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Only Jesus understood the mysterious liaison between father and son. However, if you have eyes that see. He will choose you and reveal the Godhead. It's not how well you know God. It's how well God knows you. And when you're ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you suppose that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you but rather division. That was in Luke, the version in Matthew says, to bring a sword. Those white Christians who fight for the truth are not looking for peace with every doctrine, but to separate themselves from the whole system of heathenry, that is, the idols of the heart. Within white Christians who have the eyes to see, to see this is unity. We're on the same page as 1 Corinthians 1.10, perfectly joined together in the same mind. However, the unity of Babylon is just the opposite in celebration of diversity to the point of saber rattlers Living by the sword. Unity. By way of intimidation. Christianity should never mimic the Masonic creed of fraternity at the cost of diversity. Because our moral standard would no longer be Christ. But rather the Hindu god of Dharma or tolerance. This is nothing less than the destruction of Christian unity through divide and conquer. They really don't want diversity or Christians in their game because they want us all to think alike. Having the mind of Christ is not in their stacked deck. Having diverse spiritual thoughts And the freedom of speech to interpret rightly dividing the word of truth is something they will make you feel ashamed of. Intolerance is specially reserved for white guilt. For those who dare to defiantly confront their precious idols. But All things work together for good. And Babylon will only push those who still have a propensity to have eyes at sea into God's corner. The war against Christ is to remove the pride of his people Israel for their culture and heritage. Making our identity rootless 
By the same token, we should realize that we have fallen into the traps and snares of our own accord through a blind faith that in things planted by a myriad of adversaries. We have been created in the image of God, but we have fought that image historically as an adversary. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images that say to the molten images, you are our God. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like my messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord, though seeing many things. You do not obey. Through, though his ears are open, he does not listen. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes. And they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey and none delivers. For a spoil, and none say, restore. How bad can it get? When they start calling good evil and evil good. Idols do not change simply because they are no longer carved wood or molten metal. A hardened heart is a mind set in concrete that believes it has no trinkets of worship but obstinately clings to a world of idolatry, thus making it hard to understand anything. Deception is brought about by heart idolatry. This mindset brings us golden calves and golden egos. And the enemy knows this better than us. The motto of the Mossad is, by way of deception we shall wage war. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. In other words, don't be like Israel in the wilderness, refusing to draw near the all-consuming fire to hear the voice of God. They preferred, our own people preferred, preferred to remain fleshly, retaining the idols of their hearts. The priority was their own will, their own understanding, their own ways, which is idolatry. This is the tradition of the elders, which makes God's word of none effect and is known today as Judaism. The exodus to leave Africa for all the freebies of Europe, looking for an outlet to charge your iPhone, raping white women with impunity and a free roof over your nappy head, could not happen unless the white Christian European 
has a heart of stone. This is the result of extracting every last ounce of racism out of white men to stop the alien invasion. Even though every white person is deemed a racist by today's colorblind standard, they want you in fear of your own thoughts. The law written in your heart being expressed. And more than anything, believing eyes that see what God has revealed. It's dormant from deceptions. And the blind, in part, only see trees walking. They need the hand of Jesus to see and heal perfectly. After Christ was resurrected from the grave, he met his disciples walking along a road, but they didn't recognize him. They came to a village in the evening, and as they sat down to eat, he, Christ, took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. They said one to another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? The simplicity of communion with Christ was not eating bread, but being blessed. That their eyes were opened. Not that they were blind, but what hindered their sight and knowledge was taken away. They had eyes that would see by witnessing the reality of the resurrection. It's not that they had heartburn, but that they glowed in their hearts with love for their master. Like the idiom I used earlier, They were on fire for Christ, supercharged for delivering the message. It was not a momentary infatuation, but a permanent light within. How many Christians are in the dark? You can't see anything without the shining light of glory. If the Caucasian Universalist believes God loves everybody, they are worshiping the darkness of mongrelization and a death wish for their own kind. What is happening to Europe is happening here. There are no white gangs or militias or government that will defend us against the marauding hordes of swarthy bastards. There is growing disgust among our own kind for this engineered war against white Christian America. But it will continue to maraud us into the ground unless we fight. And I mean that literally. Not voting our way out 
of the morass. Too many Christians are waiting for God to do it all for them. But have they ever had the insight to see that God is waiting for us? That's why the second coming has been postponed for 2,000 years. But unto you that fear my name or authority, ye shall go forth, and ye shall tread down the wicked. Jesus made an unusual comment about the future when he said, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. What do I purpose if already it is ignited? In other words, he wants us to get the kindling going. To sharpen and wet our swords as an avenger of blood with some vigor. Breaking news. We are in charge of the kindling. I am come to send fire on the earth and what will I if it already be kindled? Again, Luke 12.49, another version. The waiting will be over. And we will be ready to cook. Gentlemen, start your ovens. And they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And them which do iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. Holocaust 2 appearing at a theater of war near you. I hope this has been a heartwarming message for you. We only have an absence of hope in this life if we have lost faith in Christ or despair at Christ not returning according to our schedule. If you believe in the resurrection, as the apostles suddenly realize the risen Christ in their midst, the Lord opens their hearts to the truth And sets their hearts on fire. That is your comfort today. In the Holy Spirit. Our ancestors in the old world. Europe. Did not fret. In front of Christ. And kept the continent white and Christian. They may have had a lot of faults. But they did that. They did not welcome the marauding hordes with open arms, reinventing the Holy Spirit in the guise of universalism from wise and intellectual accommodations or clerics, or shall we say adversaries to our God and race. We assume that the wise and intelligent will not destroy every last vestige of white Christian America. But that's exactly what they're doing. It's time to get beyond the tired old labels of racist, anti-Semitic, and good old hate. Our adversaries are like fierce animals. And don't have eyes that see anything other than 
self-gain. The risen Lord walks with us today. The risen Lord walks with us today. And if you have eyes that see the simplicity of his words as a child, you will hear what he reveals to you. He revealed an anecdote to me recently. I was burning tree limbs, had a good fire going. As I crouched down to pick up a handful of cedar branches, I was pinpricked, and I knew I was being stung. I ran for about 20 yards as a swarm followed me up the hill to our house. I swatted most of them away and didn't know what they were until I got into the house and there was still one little yellow jacket clinging to my t-shirt, which I knocked off and squished on the floor. I counted nine or ten stings and put the usual ointments on. This did not deter me from revenge. I went back out and sprayed a full can of wasp spray on what appeared to be hundreds flying about the nest. The insecticide didn't seem to phase them. So I moved my fire to where they were congregating. That didn't do the trick either, and the sun was going down. The next day we went to church, and my hands looked like an inflated rubber glove, And my brothers told me that yellow jackets reside underground. And the only way to kill them was to fill up their synagogue with soap and water. Oh, I poured some Dawn dish detergent down their main hole and turned the hose on. After an hour, I still didn't top off, but had all kinds of dazed bugs crawling out of the hole. A few were able to fly away, but I sprayed them again with another full can of wasp spray. That night, we had our first frost of autumn. The next day, there was no movement. Now, there's a lesson to be learned here. That yellow jacket nest had to be destroyed, or it would sting again. I was temporarily impeded from burning tree branches, which I had pruned last summer. I knew that some tree limbs are good while others are evil. Yes, the literal tree limbs represent the opposite of a literal tree of life in Jesus Christ. Any hesitation... Between the two produces a blurred vision, as if trees were walking. The decision to burn up the evil was met with resistance and violence. But with the godly consultation of brethren, I resolved to completely destroy this nemesis. My hands are back to normal, and a victory was won. Now, I will be ever more vigilant of my surroundings 
and have eyes that see a potential danger before I walk into harm's way. It's ironic that WASP is short for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. To put it another way, I love my kinsman and my kinsman redeemer, but I hate Esau, Edom, just as much as God. Now I know that there will be some who think I'm a crackpot with this sermon and with a lot of crazy theories about Christianity. But let me share an email I got from a little 14-year-old Jewess, which can't be proven. It might have been some bald-headed rabbi, you know, chewing on a cigar down in the synagogue basement. But let me share part of an email I got from her. She said, First, I am writing this message so you can understand that you hurt me. There are a lot of people who write hate comments about Jews. But still, you made me think again about humanity and Christianity. You write in your articles that Jews are horrible and all about murder and evil and things like that. You wrote that from a young age we were taught that murder isn't bad. Well, I can tell you, I would never, ever murder anyone in my life, even if my life depended on it. I wrote that you made me think again about Christianity. The reason is that I always thought that the Bible was a book filled with beautiful and inspirational text. But you made me change my mind. If all those horrible things about Jews were written in the Bible... Well, then, I mean, no disrespect by saying this, but I am sad that it is thought of as holy. Yes, the Bible may say all those things, and maybe it was true hundreds of years ago, but it's not true anymore. And it just provokes other people hating us, people judging me because I was born Jewish. Other than hurting my feelings... You are provoking racism. You do not know me at all. I don't really understand much about the Bible, but do you think God would approve of you making a 14-year-old girl like me thinking again about Christianity and mostly about herself? And if she did anything wrong to cause this prejudice? End quote. Well, wasn't that juicy? My answer is that, yes, this message is approved by God. I wouldn't waste any of my time on this if I didn't think it was from the Holy Spirit. May this message be a torch for light and kindling to ignite the preparations of the heart for our Savior to return in the sky To cleanse the earth. I hope I have provoked much more than racism. But the eyes that see through the Jew. Who never thought the Bible was holy to begin with. I know. That the blood of Christ. Is upon the children of wickedness. And I am happy. To reveal the real adversary. May you find 
repentance before they sting you. We will continue Eyes That See in part two. Thank you. Isaiah 44, 9. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know that they may be ashamed. Good morning. (laughs) Well, just so our listeners on the websites know, I don't have laryngitis. And uh, it's that lump on my lung that's pressing against one of my vocal cords. So... We'll try and get through this today, Lord willing. And by the way, I thank all those that have emailed me with their good wishes for beating uh, this thing that I've got. And I plan on beating it. Oh, say, can you see? Is the first line in the Star-Spangled Banner. And Francis Scott Key meant for it to mean uh, patriotic pride. After a ferocious all-night battle in the War of 1812, their flag was still visible by the dawn's early light. The spirit of 1776 in the form of a flag reflected what white Christian Americans were willing to die for, namely our freedom to worship Jesus and not be ruled by tyrants. And when they had platted a crown of thorns They put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Well, when Jesus was abducted in the middle of the night by a mob of shameless hypocrites. The cross of Calvary is still seen by those who have eyes to see its glory after the dawn of 2,000 years. This translation of the King James, by the way, is a mockery as well in that Jesus was not King of the Jews, that is, the non-Israelite, Edomite, Pharisees, but rather of the Judahites, and thus, true Israel. Jewish tyranny operates in the same manner today, by kneeling to the graven image of sports. Kneeling 
is an act of reverence and obeisance. But the NFL owners have manipulated their slaves to mock themselves in the name of racism. They're completely baffled and blind to the worship of Negroes and what that means for white Christian America. The principle of part two is Proverbs 29.18 where there is no vision the people perish. In other words, when there is no one with eyes that see, our people are unrestrained to act like savage mongrels. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. They are in contempt of what God reveals, cast into outer darkness. Some Bible scholars believe this to be the guest thrown out of the bright lights of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I suggest you read John 3.19 and 2 Thessalonians 2.8 in light of that thought. The spirit of 2017 is a series of black flag operations and the Orwellian vision of a double-minded society. Very few people can see beyond the legacy of war is peace, freedom is slavery, and ignorance is strength. Man greatly dishonors God when he fashions him in the molds of secular humanism. The lie of the serpent Jew pampers the unbelief of agnostics and plants the seeds of absurd theology in the church of universal religion. If our people seek peace and happiness through the world or make mental compacts with superstition and mythology or any fault system of belief, <laughs> they feed on the ashes of Auschwitz and other Jewish fables. You see, I haven't lost my humor. The Jews are masters of deception and in their arsenal of weapons of mass destruction you will find the devices of the heart deceived by the pride that falls. The love of sin and the mantra that we really don't need Jesus. There is no such phrase as war for Christ in the Bible and to pursue such a course is how not to win the war 
against cultural Marxism. That is, Jewish mind control. Such warmongers are void of God's law of war and spiritually bankrupt. They only have eyes for death and destruction. The last thing the enemy wants our people to have are eyes that see life and peace. The real war is against our own fears and resentments, overcoming ignorance and doubt. Without eyes that see, one is merely chasing ghostly adversaries. Eyes that see, witness the specter of wickedness, just as Jesus understood the betrayal of old Jerusalem. Conformity to worldly pleasures depends on the depravity of man or an ongoing affection of lies as his greatest treasure in life. They most assuredly prove the manifestation of a lie in their own lives, thinking their delectable things will save them from the wrath of God. Know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. <clears throat> the first step in deliverance is to suspect yourself as a sinner. If you are not at peace with yourself, you are not at peace with your Redeemer. We must question the authority of our conscience. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't let anybody tell you what is good or evil because the new covenant has written the divine law in your heart and mind. We, white Christians, strive to do good, but we have inherited the fall of Adam. We innately know what evil is, even though a lot of people are in denial that our sin nature is adversarial to God, race, and most importantly, life. Paul understood this conundrum perfectly. That the mind and flesh are at war with each other. Reconcile this challenge 
And God will reciprocate by subduing his rods of chastisement. A lot of our Israelite warriors have the mistaken notion that our fight is outside our personal psyche and thus hate or oppose the wicked. Now there's nothing wrong with being in opposition to evil, but it's only a half measure. Indeed, the victory is found from within. I'm going to ask one of our renowned narrators, <laughs> who, me? <laughs> uh, to come up and read some of the more lengthy scripture quotes that I have. Our narrator will read this first one, and then there will be a short pause uh, where I'll make some comments, and then he will read another more lengthy scripture quote. So, Mr. Narrator, please come up and start at the top of the page there. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having readiness within to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is complete. Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. That is the only effective and salient, and if I could, ideal white power, at our disposal. Once we get our act together from within, then we can struggle against the forces of evil from without. When do we know our obedience is perfected? When we have eyes that see. Not our sinlessness, but the defeat of our carnal sin nature, which is also called the old man. Paul is explaining the difference between the old man and the new man in Christ as follows. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. But now it is not I who am committing this, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. 
but there is no ability to do it. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law of my mind and holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. What wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Romans 7 verses 14 through 25. Now Paul is um, alluding to the children of Israel selling their nation race into sin. But by the time of Christ, we had a kinsman redeemer to purchase the slave of sin. Sin brought death, but Christ brought life, eternal life, in fact. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, verses 5 through 8. Well, this begs the question, or questions, what would we be deceived about? Was Christ manifested to take away our sins or to take away the works of the devil? Is it possible that John is speaking about the same thing? The same thing. If we are all sinners, are we all of the devil or of God? Whose sin brought about the fall of man? From the beginning, the Greek word for devil is diablos and simply means a false accuser or slanderer. Every sin is a form of a lie that accuses God of accepting self-righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. It's a ridiculous fallacy that promotes a hypocritical morality. Nothing even remotely relates to that concept can be found in the Bible. The Jews 
have embedded in their religion the Kol Nidra ritual, which annuls all vows and oaths for the coming year. That is, a license to lie. Doesn't it make more sense that when we lie, we must be associating with false accusers or those who bear false witness, like the Jew devils? John is clearly telling us that if you sin, you don't have eyes that see, which makes it a very rare commodity that not all Christians will enjoy. Once we see that sin comes from within, we can see that the blood sacrifice of Jesus is the most powerful weapon in the, wor in the world to defeat and destroy the carnal flesh in pursuit of transgressing the law. There's not the slightest hint to suggest another supernatural power other than God to tempt mankind. And God does not tempt us. We've done it to ourselves. However, we have a remedy. The Spirit can overcome the flesh, our old Adamic nature. I'd like for Brother Joe to come up and continue in the vicarious manner of my larynx. <laughs> Starting here, and you can read to here. Here are the racial facts. Only the ancestors of Adam were given the breath of life, Genesis 2-7, or the Spirit of God. And this race only were given God's law. This is established in Psalms 147, verses 19 through 20, where it is us, and not them, who were issued God's commandments. Furthermore, a barrier was established by God to prohibit his word from ever being pronounced by the racial non-Adamic alien. But God says to the wicked, What right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and turn your back on my words. From Psalms 50, verses 16-17. Our entire race has been given hope out of this wicked world through repentance or changing from a fleshly life to a spiritual life. But the world of mongrel wickedness should not have the word law of God, a so-called people group who are corrupt racially and condemned morally because it is not possible for them to repent. They are not forgiven. They are doomed. Therefore, the law says, 
they shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Exodus twenty three thirty three. Why the big push for illegal aliens in Europe and the U.S.? Israelite nations. Because it will make us doomed too. But through Christ, we can recite, we can receive forgiveness of sins. The white power to overcome the flesh and the promise of a resurrection to eternal life at his coming. What happened to Paul can be our experience as well. Paul said that he wished not to do evil rather than even hoping to do good. If we do not understand Paul in Romans 7, it's because we are so far beneath the eyes that God gave him to see his own wretchedness. Verse 24. We cannot see the spiritual nature of the law, the error of our ways, and the mandatory hatred of immorality. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. From Psalms 97, verse 10. Thank you, Brother Joe. And now, if uh, Brother Jim may come up here. Paul was willing to be in agreement with all points of the law as we are. But we are all hindered by the haunting of sin and thus never attain the perfection of sinlessness. Therefore, our dire need for the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. Eyes that see know a man always sinful can only be delivered by the free grace of God. Grace means unmerited favor and is only offered by Jesus the Christ to save us from ourselves. Only divine wisdom could figure out such a plan to root out sin from our hearts, to keep us from trusting in our own wisdom. In spite of the aforementioned, Christianity has something no other religion can espouse, and that is the doctrine of justification, simply expressed in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If all of our sins were written on a chalkboard, justification is the eraser that wipes the slate clean. It helps us see the righteousness of faith and assurance that Christ gives to us a new start. Believers may still be chastened by the Lord, not to punish us, but to correct any deviations. Why? Because the kingdom age will be populated by overcomers who were not condemned with the world. We are delivered from the enemy within by our union with Christ through faith. That's how the enemy without is brought to divine judgment through annihilation. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience as soon as your obedience is complete. 2 Corinthians 10.6 How can you go into battle with that pathetic, rusty, unsharpened sword? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 Eyes that see the war know that priority has always begun with self. 
Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Matthew sixteen twenty four. There's a senatorial race in Alabama to replace Attorney General Sessions' seat. A man seeking that position, who was Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, got into a lot of trouble years ago defying federal orders to remove the Ten Commandments from the Alabama Justice Building. Moore has a long history of combat politics and controversy. He is the founder of the Foundation of Moral Law and is not ashamed of far-right conservative and Christian values. The Jew-inspired communists have pulled all the stops in this special election and have brought forth former teenagers from 40 years ago to accuse Moore of immoral improprieties against these girls. The thing is, they wait just three weeks away from the election to bring dump trucks of media diatribe and hype to sort things out. Thank you, Brother Jim. I think this story goes to the heart of today's sermon and the principle thereof. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I don't know if Judge Moore is an honorable man or not, but he certainly has the courage of his convictions and refuses to drop out. This says something exemplary of the Bible. Prove all things. Hold firmly to what is good. More is getting a taste of Babylonian jurisprudence in which one is innocent until proven guilty becomes a joke. The perpetrators of such distasteful injustice who make a mockery of morality witness against themselves. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. They are already in the sewers of outer darkness. Like NFL Negro slaves, they kneel in subservience to their paymasters. If you follow the money trail, you'll find the love of mammon. If you have eyes that see, you know where that trail leads to the synagogue of Satan. I pray this message has been a blessing and rudder for the direction we must go. Thank you.